The Seahawks badly needed an upgrade at left tackle. They believe they found that, picking Charles Cross in the ninth overall selection. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking down the strengths and weaknesses in Cross's game and what he brings to the table heading to Seattle on our latest installment of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me, as always, by co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We're going to be ramping up our post-draft coverage today. Starting our Inside the Seahawks draft, checking out Charles Cross, the number nine overall selection. What strengths and weaknesses does he bring to the table for the Seahawks? And what are some realistic expectations for him heading into his rookie season? We'll also check out some of the offensive undrafted rookies that have been reportedly linked to the Seahawks here heading into this weekend's rookie minicamp. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. A little less than two years ago, the Seahawks were in the midst of what they believed was a championship window. They wanted to upgrade their defense with some star power, and they did that by trading two first-round picks and a third-round pick to the Jets in exchange for star safety Jamal Adams. Fast-forwarding to the present, Adams has been a second-team All-Pro during the 2020 season. Last year wasn't a Pro Bowler or an All-Pro selection. Missed the last five games with a labrum tear in his shoulder. He's almost fully recovered from that injury. We finally now know what players both teams got out of this trade. The Seahawks did get a fourth-round pick, number 109 overall in this year's draft. Back as part of the trade, it was finally completed on Thursday. And we now know this, Rob. Both teams ended up getting two players out of this deal. The Jets traded up in the 2020 draft, packaged the first and third they got from the Seahawks, for Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard out of USC, and they drafted Garrett Wilson 10th overall with the Seahawks first round pick this season. Seattle, they have Jamal Adams, obviously, and they drafted Kobe Bryant at 109 overall. It's interesting because you look at just the players that each team received in return, and clearly at this point, Adams is the most talented player of that bunch. We won't know who really won this trade for a few years, but At this point, I don't think it's as lopsided as a lot of fans and analysts seem to claim that it was. Yeah, that's the biggest point I'm happy that you made right off the start, um, is that it has been kind of perceived as being lopsided. I think there's a lot of people who initially thought there was lopsided in Seattle's favor, especially when Jamal Adams just went and, you know, broke the NFL record for the most sacks ever collected by a defensive back in his first season in Seattle. And then there was the, the switch to the perhaps that the Jets won the this uh, won that trade because of the fact that Jamal Adams has struggled with durability that he has struggled a little bit in terms of pass coverage and and a lot of people out there were kind of saying hey yeah Jamal Adams he's really good at rushing the pass or really good at the point of attack but he's also a safety isn't he expected to do more than just that but with Elijah Vera Tucker who I think is a pretty good football player. Uh, for the New York Jets at that guard position. It remains to be seen if he is going to wind up becoming a very good football player. I think that he would do better if Mickey Becton, the tackle uh, for the Jets, comes back healthy, and, and maybe the Jets are able to make that make that big jump. But 
he is still an interior offensive lineman. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that very many interior offensive linemen wind up leading their team to the Super Bowl. Whereas sometimes you get defensive backs who are able to make that type of an impact. And then again, you mentioned Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver. And certainly if a wide receiver is able to make a connection with a young quarterback, then that obviously can bounce a team very, very high up the, uh, up the board. We saw that just this past year with the Cincinnati Bengals. They, they made the selection of Jamar Chase and the connection that he had uh, with Joe Burrow obviously was a big time uh, part of Cincinnati Bengals moving up, but it is very easy to say on numbers on, on, on potential that that is exactly what Garrett Wilson is going to be able to do. Whereas the Seahawks have a guy who is already a proven commodity. And if we're just going to kind of throw out this, you know, conjecture about what players could be, then what could be Kobe Bryant, who exactly. is, is a very proven player at the collegiate level is a four year starter as the Jim Thorpe award winner, as you said, Corbett, I think this is a much more even trade and perhaps even one that Seattle could wind up smiling a lot more about this uh, about this move than a lot of those draft analysts, a lot of those naysayers have been suggesting for the last couple of years. I think one of the biggest problems, when you look at Jamal Adams' first two seasons, it just seems like the Seahawks have had a really hard time truly figuring out how to best utilize him because last year he didn't have any sacks and barely registered any pressures. They didn't use him much in that capacity, and when they did, it was obvious to the offense what was going to happen. He was just going to rush off the edge. There was no creativity for how to deploy him. Now, I appreciated what they did in coverage later in the season. He had two picks in the three games before he got hurt, and you really saw him making strides playing alongside Quandre Diggs. I don't think that Jamal Adams is a bad covered safety, but you have to play certain style to really fit him. He's not going to be a single high roam the field safety that is not his game and you're not utilizing his strengths he's a true unicorn you've got to be able to use him around the line of scrimmage quite a bit and I think with Clint Hurt now being the coordinator and bringing in Sean Desai who has a background of being a great safeties coach in Chicago whether it was as an assistant or being a defensive coordinator the guy can just flat out coach safeties I think they're going to be running a lot of nickel and dime packages where they're playing Jamal Adams up in the box and they're letting him be a hunter. They're going to be aggressive. They're going to be creative using him. So I think we will finally, as long as he can stay healthy, we will finally see Jamal Adams maximize this year with the coaching staff that the Seahawks have really taking advantage of that unique skill set that he has. So I still think that this could be a trade. You look a year or two from now that fans may grow a bit more content with what the Seahawks did because they're going to look at the stats. They're going to see the impact that Adams has on defense say, you know what? Yeah, we're paying 70 million over a four-year contract. That's a ton of money. But if he's getting sacks, he's making a few picks and he's making a difference stopping the run, he can still be that game-changing talent they thought they were acquiring. And Kobe Bryant, as you mentioned, I made the prediction he starts in week one on yesterday's show. If he ends up becoming a multi-year starter in the fourth round, that is a steal. If you got Adams and Bryant in your secondary for several years together, that right there looks like a pretty darn good trade package that you got. For the Jets, maybe Vera Tucker last year gave up 42 pressures in pass protection. If he doesn't improve quite a bit in that regard, he's not going to be a top-tier guard, and you traded three picks to move up to get him. Garrett Wilson, 
the Jets have a history of botching first round picks with receivers, but maybe Wilson will be the one that changes that history and, and really breaks out as a number one receiver for Zach Wilson. There's a lot of ifs here. And of course, Seahawks fans are going to be listening, saying, yeah, but think about what we could have done with those two first round picks. Sure. They could have used it last year to bring in a pass rusher and offensive lineman, and maybe Seattle wins 10-11 games just with that one difference maker added to the lineup. Maybe this year they'd still have Russell Wilson under center because of that. But you can play hypotheticals all you want. I like to play with the facts, and the fact is the Seahawks made this trade, and I think that they still, at least right now, they're either even or you can make an argument that they got the better of this deal currently in 2022. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that we just saw this proven out with the Los Angeles Rams winning the Super Bowl, Corbin, that they had more difference makers than any other NFL team. At least in my opinion, I was not surprised at all to, to see them go on and, and win. And there is no doubt about it. Jamal Adams is a difference maker. Now, sometimes his overaggressiveness can get him into trouble. We've had that conversation many times here. But I also think that, again, an interior offensive lineman is not likely to be that difference maker. And, you know, that, that's the direction that the New York Jets decided to go with the selections that they acquired in Seattle's pretty bold trade for Jamal Adams. But again, I think that you just see what Seattle is looking to do at this point. The fact that Adams is a proven uh, you know, playmaker um, in, in multiple different ways. And then we still haven't seen him at his best, in my opinion. I think that you, uh, you know, add the pass rush around him, a, a few more ball hawks in, in the secondary around him. I think that that protects him a lot more. And then again, I, and I don't mean to, uh, you know, to kind of throw stones at, at, at Simma Seattle's past defensive coaches, but clearly it, it was predictable what, what Seattle is going to be doing with Jamal Adams. And, and so I think that there is a, a good chance that we are going to see Adams deployed in much more uh, you know diverse ways this upcoming season. And again, just looking at the division in which Seattle uh, faces, you, you have some dynamic passing attacks with the Los Angeles Rams, the Arizona Cardinals specifically. You have a dynamic running game with the San Francisco 49ers and one of the most versatile players in all of the NFL in Debo Samuel as, as as well as a tight end, George Kittle. That's the reason why you brought in a guy like Jamal Adams is to be able to kind of match up with guys like Kittle, with Debo Samuel, with Cooper Cup, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's the thing. That, that's what you have to kind of bank on here from a Seattle perspective is they brought in a guy that they believe is a difference maker that justifies the selection at that point or the or the trade at that point. So, yeah, I think that this is a is a trade that, that Seattle is going to feel a lot better moving forward because of the fact that they have moved past that. And look, I, I'm rooting for Elijah Vera Tucker and Garrett Wilson to be good football players for the Jets. I just feel even more confident that Seattle's guys are going to wind up being even better. Yeah, we'll see a few years from now, once we've seen what Wilson does in the NFL, where Vera Tucker's at at that point, maybe 2024 we'll be looking at make man, Seattle really got owned in this. The Jets got two pro bowlers or all pro caliber players. Jamal Adams has been hurt. They never unlocked his potential, but we could also be a couple of years from now, like that was why they made this trade. Look at what Jamal Adams done. He got the Seahawks back to being relevant in the NFC West. They're back in the playoffs with a great defense. Again, there's a lot of what-ifs, hypotheticals, but I definitely think that this trade at this point, 
a lot of fans and a lot of experts have wrongly looked at it as being a one-sided affair in the Jets' favor. And you look at the two players each team received, it looks pretty even to me at this point. And the Seahawks feel pretty good about the trade that they made to acquire Jamal Adams. We're going to talk undrafted free agents here in a moment. The Seahawks have had some pretty darn good ones they've signed over the years that have been impact players. We're going to look at the offensive players that have been reportedly linked to the Seahawks, either as a signing or a tryout player here in a moment. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting and waging informational needs, from live betting to the playoffs, esports, and much more. Head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Tuesday show, my co-host, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Over the years, under John Schneider and Pete Carroll, the Seahawks have had great success signing undrafted players that became impact contributors, whether it's Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Curse, more recently players like Puna Ford. It seems like every year the Seahawks are able to find some type of a diamond in the rough that is able to come in as a rookie and contribute for them. Last year we saw Jake Curhan start five games at the end of the year, and now he and Abraham Lucas are going to be competing for that starting right tackle job. He still could potentially have a future with this franchise along their offensive line. Let's look at the incoming undrafted free agent class for the Seahawks on offense. And I want to throw this disclaimer out. Most of our listeners already know this, but the Seahawks have yet to officially announce their signings. So all the players we're going to talk about today have either been reported as a signing or a tryout player. Nothing is 100% official set in stone. I don't know how many times I've seen a guy that reportedly signed to Seattle and then another team came in. Hey, we'll give you another $80,000 to come sign with us. And then they bolt or a better situation presents itself to maybe get on a roster. So until the Seahawks announce who they've signed going into this weekend's rookie minicamp, we don't officially know who's going to be on the 90-man roster. Let's start at the quarterback position. I'm going to throw the bone to you first, Rob, because Caleb Ellaby from Western Michigan was a player that you mentioned a few times when we were talking day three possibilities at quarterback for the Seahawks. He did not hear his name called. And really the biggest reason this is a guy that looked more athletic in games, but man, his testing was rough in the pre-draft process. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, when you're a guy who is at 6'1", 210 pounds, and you know, runs for 13 touchdowns and throws for four times as many touchdowns as he passes, then you're looking for a guy that um, you know is going to be invited to one of the prominent All-Star games. Caleb Ellaby was not was is going to go to the NFL scouting combine and and absolutely light it up and. You know, 25 and a half inch vertical opted not to run in the 40 yard dash, uh, then goes to his Western Michigan pro day and runs a four and nine just doesn't show you that that dynamic athletic ability to suggest that this is a guy who can compete at the NFL level. And, and Caleb Ellaby is a, is a really good college football player. And I think that he's got a chance to, to sneak in to Seattle's roster. Certainly you love the fact that he is going to have the, the built-in rapport with, you know, 
D. Eskridge, obviously, is, is former wide receiver uh, with Western Michigan. But at the same time, I just don't see that kind of, a, of elite athlete. Uh, and that's the biggest reason why that he wound up going as an undrafted free agent. Um, and so I think between Ellaby, uh, Levi Lewis from, from Troy, a much more dynamic athlete, but also a significantly smaller guy, um, I think that Seattle had to bring in some quarterbacks because during the rookie minicamp, you have to have somebody who can throw the ball. I mean, if, if you're going to be able to have your practices, again, you just have to have some quarterbacks there. At the same time, I think that both of these guys have enough smarts, enough accuracy as packet passers, and certainly enough athletic ability as well to be able to give you something to at least think about. Uh, and so I'm intrigued by the fact that Seattle has not one, but two quarterbacks who, as you said, Corbin, and I think correctly, um, you know, we do have to kind of at least have that caveat out there that this are these are reports of who agents primarily are are telling reporters that who their their who their players have signed with the Seahawks have not you know publicly said this is our players uh, but at the same time I do believe that Caleb Ellaby and uh, you know and and then Lewis from Troy are going to be the, the the two players who are going to be taking all the snaps for the Seahawks during this weekend's rookie minicamp. One slight correction here. You were in the right conference, but Levi Lewis is from Louisiana. He was teammates with Josh Johnson. And Josh Johnson was fired up on Twitter, rightfully so, that he's going to get some handoffs potentially from Levi Lewis. And, and I'll say this. You and I both mentioned Caleb Elby because his film looks solid. But I really had not seen anything about Levi Lewis going into this draft process. He's 5'10", 184 pounds. I typically am probably not going to evaluate a quarterback like that unless they run like a 4-3 and they've got a cannon arm, which Levi Lewis doesn't do either of those. He ran a 4-7-4 at his pro day, but he had over 1,000 rushing yards and 14 rushing touchdowns in his career for the Raging Cajuns, led them to a bunch of wins as a multi-year starter, completed 64% of his passes, over 70 touchdown passes, less than 20 interceptions. He was pretty darn efficient throwing the football at 5'10", 184 pounds, and he runs faster on the field than 474. Had a couple really big runs last year where he was able to break out of the pocket and then sprinted past the defense. I don't know that he can do that in the NFL, but of these two guys, Lewis is the one that actually intrigues me the most just because we know what Seattle did with Russell Wilson at 5'10". They're familiar with a quarterback like this that's undersized, and he's athletic. At least he's going to be fun to watch in the preseason because – He's the one it sounds like he's going to sign. Ellaby is going to be coming as a tryout player and have a chance to get a contract for the Seahawks heading into the rest of their offseason program. But I'm very intrigued by Lewis. I'd also be intrigued by Sincere McCormick, the running back out of UTSA, if the Seahawks had not drafted Kenneth Walker and they were bringing back Josh Johnson, DJ Dallas, Travis Homer. Maybe he can get signed to a contract out of this rookie minicamp. At 5'8 and a half, 205 pounds, he's short, stocky, compact. Doesn't have blazing speed, though. 4'6, 40. Doesn't necessarily have explosive wheels on the field either, but he gets the job done moving the chains. He runs with his pads well, a physical running back, and he's got soft hands. So he's got some three, da uh, three down back potential. So I'd be somewhat intrigued to see what he looks like out there. The numbers game is working against him, but. McCormick is a player that I think fits what Seattle usually looks for at the running back position from a size and playing style standpoint. So worth watching. And at the receiver position, two names that have been thrown out there, John Mitchell from Florida Atlantic, as well as Demetrius Robertson from Auburn. 
Mitchell was not a five-star recruit. He was lightly recruited, ended up at Florida Atlantic. Demetrius Robertson was a five-star recruit that I think played for every team in the SEC before coming to the NFL. Basically, it, he was at Auburn, he was at Georgia, and in the middle of that, I'm trying to remember what other program that he was at, but he's played for at least three schools and just never was able to get over the hump and become the player that he was supposed to be coming out of high school. But he's got 4-4 speed, has some playmaking ability, can do some special teams. So of those two players, I would think Robertson is the one that maybe has the best chance to at least be on the roster heading into training camp. Yeah, and, and, and I apologize if I got the names mixed up. Again, who I certainly intended is Caleb Ellaby, Western Michigan, and the, the success that he had with D. Eskridge with Western Michigan. And then, as you said, with uh, Levi Lewis and, uh, of course, Josh Johnson, L&L and J&J at, at Louisiana. <laughs> I mean, their their track record speaks for itself. I mean, Louisiana this past season was was undefeated in the conference. Um, you know, and, and Levi Lewis, as you mentioned, I mean, you watch him on tape. I mean, and the guy is just a dynamo. I mean, there, there are shades of Russell Wilson, perhaps even a more athletic, at least in comparison to what he was facing in the Sunbelt Conference, a more athletic version of, of Russell Wilson. I mean, just the way that this kid can scoot, the fact that he, again, has a four touchdown to one interception ratio over his entire career. 42 career starts. I mean, yeah, there, there's a lot of exciting things about him, but he was listed at 5'10". He actually came in a shade over 5'8". I mean, we're talking about a, a pretty small football player here. Um, you know, and, and Russell Wilson, he was a rock solid 220 pounds. And, and this kid came in under 190. I mean, so again, we are talking about a pretty small football player, but still, that's what you're looking for. I mean, Kyler Murray isn't that much bigger than that. And obviously the success that he's had with the Arizona Cardinals speaks for itself. I, I don't think that the Seahawks are going to be as worried about size as they are. Can you actually make some plays against NFL competition? That, that's going to be the biggest question here of these quarterbacks. And, and I do think that Seattle is actually a little bit more satisfied with their quarterback position than a lot of, of the national pundits might, might think out there. Just because I think that they view Jacob Eason, the presumptive number three quarterback currently on the roster, I think that they view him as a little bit more of a high upside kind of a guy than maybe the guys that they just brought in here. So I am fascinated to see. I'm, I'm going to be there in Seattle to be able to kind of watch. I assume you will as well to see the way that these quarterbacks perform uh, during Seattle's rookie minicamp this weekend. But you mentioned one of the guys I'm most intrigued by, Demetrius Robinson from uh, from from Auburn and from Georgia. That's where he had the bulk of his production is the Georgia Bulldogs. You can understand, given all the talent that Georgia had, why a guy like that would decide to transfer out and try to perform, um, try to kind of create some buzz for himself. Wasn't that productive, given the fact that he was a five-star recruit, um, you know, that, that signed with the Bulldogs? At the same time, I think that he left Georgia after three seasons there with a three total touchdowns. But still, th this is a, a, a good-looking athlete, as a guy who has all kinds of hype behind him. I think this is exactly why you have the undrafted free agency kind of process. But it's actually an interior offensive lineman of all of the bunch that Seattle signed an undrafted free agency. I'm the most intrigued. I believe that you are as well. Yes, Shamarius Gilmore from Georgia State, who actually visited with the Seahawks, had a pre-draft visit early in the process and 
This guy is six foot two, 301 pounds, so kind of a shorter, a little bit stockier lineman. But what really jumped out to me, he had 36 bench press reps at his pro day. So this dude is an ox. He is strong as hell. And he ran a 7.39 second three cone. To put that in perspective, Kobe Bryant, the Seahawks' incoming corner they just drafted in the fourth round, ran a 7.33 at Cincinnati's pro day. So either he's just extremely slow in a three cone, which percentile-wise he is for a corner, or Gilmore is an elite athlete when it comes to change of direction, which I would be leaning towards that. That is a really good number for a 300-plus pound offensive lineman. So he's got athleticism. He's got pure physical strength. And, oh, by the way, he played more than 4,000 snaps at the college level. So he's coming into the NFL experienced. That would be the guy of this group that I would think right now has the best chance to push for a roster spot. If I'm somebody that's a backup guard in Seattle's roster right now, I'm looking over my shoulder because this guy is a very experienced, skilled offensive lineman that's got size and athleticism. He does. And as you said, I mean, the 4,000 career snaps, that, that that translates to 58 consecutive starts. I mean, I don't care what team you're playing for, at what uh, level you're playing at. I mean, that is exactly the type of durability and consistency. Two-time, first-team, all-sunbelt uh, all player, um, you know, the, the last couple of years. Um, and then, as you mentioned, just the, the straight power. I mean, it is very intriguing as well. So again, that, that's what the whole point of this year's undrafted free agency, uh, you know, is all about is that when you have the number of selections that Seattle had this year, nine picks, court, you know, in, as opposed to three the year before, I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to see some of these undrafted free agents make, you know, make that transition and, and actually make a roster spot the way that we saw Jake Curran, John Raddick, and Puna Ford, as you mentioned, the last couple of years do that for the CX. I think it's going to be tougher. But at the same time, I am very intrigued uh, by the just the, the sheer talent, the athletic ability, and the upside that Seattle's undrafted free agent class offers this year. Yeah, I would say Gilmore and Lewis are probably the two that I'm most excited to see what they can do just because the quarterback situation, you, you want to see if there's a young guy that might be able to razzle-dazzle a little bit. And I just think a, a fast quarterback like that would be fun in the preseason. And Gilmore, just the experience and the traits that he brings to the table would be a really fun project at the guard position. Might not even be a project with all the snaps that he has under his belt. He might surprise. So there are a few players here that could make some noise potentially for the Seahawks, but it is going to be tough to make the 53-man roster as an undrafted free agent this year with a big draft class and the players that they have brought in. We're going to shift gears to that 2022 draft class, taking a closer look inside the draft. The Seahawks picked their left tackle of the future at number nine overall in Charles Cross. We're going to be breaking down his game, strengths, weaknesses, as well as where he fits and expectations going into his rookie season. This episode is brought your way by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models out there, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Why choose to spend 30 50 even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership. Rock Auto is a family business, and they're serving do-it-yourselfers. They've been doing it for 20 years. Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you could need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, 
even new carpet. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find a solution to your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, Locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, Box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's time to take a deep dive into the Seahawks 2021 draft class, a top 10 pick for the first time since John Schneider and Pete Carroll were in their first season with the franchise back in 2010. They picked Russell Okung with the sixth pick that year out of Oklahoma State, so they got their future left tackle. They decided to repeat history a little bit at number nine, picking Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. And we've talked about Cross extensively during the pre-draft process because, Rob, this is a player that had been linked to Seattle. We knew the need at tackle. He was viewed widely as one of the top three tackles in this draft class. Some people viewed him as the number two guy. Some viewed him as three. There were even a few experts out there that wondered he might be the highest upside tackle in this class. There have been a few people that had Trevor Penning in front of him. Penning ended up going to the Saints later in the first round. So let's talk strengths and weaknesses. We're looking at Charles Cross. Rob, what really jumps out to you from a strength standpoint, the film that you've watched of this kid playing in Mike Leach's offense? Well, I, I think if we just wanted to be, you know, glib about it, we could just say pass protection just in general. And, and I don't think that that really is breaking it down as much as our, our listeners want to hear. Right. I mean, obviously, in Mike Leach's offense, you are going to pass protect, but it's just the lateral agility. It's the initial quickness. It's the arm length. This kid is more of a basketball player than a football player in a lot of ways. The way that he is able to mirror pass rushers, he just glides back and forth. But at the same time, for those of our viewers who are watching on YouTube, you can see the way that Charles Cross is built. He is broader across the shoulder than he is wide across the hips. And of course, most players are. But at the same time, I do have some reservations about whether or not he is going to be able to add this, the pure mass in his lower body that I think that the Seahawks have prioritized. And that's the single biggest reason why I had my doubts about whether Seattle would make this selection. I just didn't think that he was quite the mover at the point of attack that Seattle has prioritized in the running game in the past. There is no question that he's aggressive, that he can get to the second level and he can latch on and steer defensive players. He can, he can actually knock them down to the ground. He is an aggressive player. He just doesn't have a lot of power at the initial point of attack. And he wasn't asked to do that. Now, at the same time, I do want to mention this because I think that this has become such a stereotype that, oh, it's just Mike Leach's offense. They cannot run block. Well, Charles Cross was a five-star recruit. He was being recruited by just about everybody across the country, including USC. You know, and he actually signed with Mississippi State when Joe Moorhead was the head coach there, not Mike Leach. And Joe Moorhead liked to run the football. And so it wasn't just Mike Leach that brought him to Mississippi State. You know, again, Cross had already signed with the Bulldogs. What was he going to do? But I think that that absolutely helped Cross become the pass blocker that he is. I'm excited about this selection for the Seahawks. I am surprised by it. 
Uh, I was surprised by Abraham Lucas in the third round because Pete Carroll himself said during the pre-draft press conference about how difficult it is to ask an offensive lineman to make that transition from primarily a two-point stance to a three-point stance. But at the same time, as you said, Corbin, the upside with him is obvious. The athletic ability is obvious. And he's 21 years old, having been very, very successful against the elite competition in all of the NFL. So blast me if you want, Seahawks fans. I will will raise my hand and say that I was surprised by this selection. But at the same time, just because I was surprised doesn't necessarily mean that I didn't like this selection from a Seahawk perspective and view this guy as a potential pro bowler at the left tackle position. And I'm going to be on the other end of the spectrum because I don't know how many times that I mocked Charles Cross to the Seattle Seahawks during this pre-draft process. And I guess the way that I viewed it, and you and I have talked about this off air as well, you know, yeah, he's coming from Mike Leach's air raid offense. And I do think that that is a difficult transition for most offensive linemen. But this is also an offense that I expect is going to be looking for some different type of players up front with Andy Dickerson and Shane Waldron being in charge of the offensive line and running the plays. There's going to be more emphasis on your wide zone and mid zone run schemes. And I think they want guys that can move. And obviously we know Charles Cross can move. There's a reason he's got the nickname Sweet Feet, former basketball player, a very good one at that. And so you can see that translating to his ability to handle edge rushers. To me, the biggest strength in his game, the light feet and the mirroring is obviously a big deal, but this guy's got really long arms too, and he uses them effectively. Some of these guys in the NFL have 33 and a half, 34 plus inch arms, but they don't know how to use them. Charles Cross gets the extension and speed rushers, he is as good as anybody at washing them downfield just by using his long arms as levers to make sure they can't turn the corner. He's really good at that. So that would be, to me, the biggest strength in his game. And I'm interested to see what that looks like against some of the really elite speed rushers in the NFL because that's a different animal. It's going to be a challenge for any tackle coming in the league. But this is a guy that I think is well-equipped to be able to handle that. Where I do maybe have some concerns, a lot of it is technical. He plays with a little bit of a narrow base compared to what I would like to see. And why is that a problem? When you're trying to get to those speed rushers, getting upfield, you really end up being rushed when you do that. You'd like to see a little wider base from him in his pass sets. And I think it also impacts him inside. When you're playing narrow like that, it's harder to be able to recover against a really well-executed inside slant. And he gets beat inside time to time. So those are technical things you have to work on. And his hands as well. Most of the time, he's really good at his hands, but when he is bad with his hands, there's no mid-ground. He's either really good at his placement or it's atrocious. He gets them outside the shoulder pads consistently in the pass and run game, and he grabs. You do that in the NFL, it is going to become a flag show. There is going to be yellow. There's going to be more yellow than green on the field if you're doing that. And so those are the technical things that have to be fixed. But I've always said this. You can't teach the athleticism. You can't teach the pure pass blocking ability. You can coach up some of those technical things. And this guy's only 21, so that gives him a chance to clean him up. That's why I think there's such a high ceiling here because there already is a lot of polish, particularly in the passing game. And he plays with more nastiness than you would think in the run game. He'll knock people off the ball. So Pete Carroll saw that. I don't think he would have picked him if he didn't notice that. 
I, I wonder if either of the other two offensive tackles, uh, Evan Neal or Ike Kwanu, if they had been available, um, if they had, either one of them had slipped, if, if either one of them had been available in a possible trade-up, if either of them had been available for something that was palatable for Seattle, I wonder if uh, if either of those two tackles were higher on Seattle's board, or if Charles Cross was in fact their number two, or perhaps even number one off uh, not number one rated offensive tackle in this draft class. Again, in my opinion, I do think that he is the best of the pass protectors. But you mentioned the fact uh, that the fact that his arms or his hands, I should say, do kind of get outside of the numbers of defenders. That is a concern. Um, and I also mentioned again, just in, in, you did as well that, you know, kind of a narrow base, he gets himself in trouble a little bit when he gets bull rushed. And that is the single biggest thing I look for an offensive tackle. A lot of people look for that athletic ability. And I get that, that that's what you're looking for in a lot of ways in the pass protection, but in the NFL, where the just guy, every player is physical. Every guy will knock you on your butt. If you do not have a solid base, that is one of the concerns I have. I was a little bit concerned. This, this was one of the reasons why I had Charles Cross lower on my board than a lot of people seem to do, including, obviously, the Seattle Seahawks. I, I worry about the power. I mean, he's a 21-year-old man, and he is going to get bigger and stronger. But Corbin, when he did not elect to you know, throw up the bench press at the combine. Then he goes to his, his pro day and he puts up 20 repetitions. That That's a solid number considering the fact that he's got, you know, 35 inch arms or a little bit less than that. But let's be clear. Russell Okun had longer arms, which means it makes it even more difficult to put the bar up. And he had 38 repetitions. We're talking about two completely different guys here. And maybe that's a good thing for the Seahawks. As you mentioned, you know, the Seahawks are looking for a different kind of guy. But uh, my biggest concern with young offensive tackles is they is they physically just get overwhelmed at the point of attack. And that is my biggest concern with Charles Cross. I think that he has all of the athletic ability in the world. I think that what this guy could be in a year or two could be a spectacular player, could be a, a, a Pro Bowl left tackle, could be the, I can't remember the word that John Schneider said, you know, just a uh, pillar. A pillar at offensive tackle for the Seahawks. He could be, but at the same time, he could get knocked down like big rocks or and big pieces of granite can do at times. And that to me would be one of my biggest areas of concern. I just don't know that physically he is quite as strong at the point of attack of what Seattle has banked on at the left tackle position for so, so, so long. I'll say this. When his base is wide enough, though, this guy sets a pretty firm anchor. He puts the cement in the ground. Where he gets in trouble, though, is the footwork aspect. And so, again, to me, the big issues, I'd like to see him get stronger, and I think he's going to, but technique. Don't let the hands slip outside. Really work on not grabbing the outside of the shoulder pads and your feet. Make sure that you're playing with a powerful base that's got good width. I think if he can do those and be more consistent to go with everything else that he does, this the, the limit for this guy is to the roof. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say he could be an all-pro player, but, I mean, he's got the athleticism. He's got the upside if he fully develops and cleans up those technique issues. To be that kind of a player, to be a top five, top six caliber left tackle, that's what the Seahawks are banking on. It's going to boil down to him taking to coaching and the coaches making sure that they maximize – his development. So we'll see what happens. I think you and I would both agree, though. Pick number nine with the tackles they have on the roster. 
this guy will be your day one starter. If he's not, that is a huge disappointment. And suddenly that pick is not looking very good for the Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. As always, we appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast, your second listen. The schedule may be dark, but the NFL never stops, and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you subscribe to Locked On NFL on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. When Rob and I return tomorrow, we're going to continue dissecting Seattle's reported undrafted free agent signings and tryout players on the defensive side of the football, and we'll be checking out pick number 40 for the Seahawks in the second round, Minnesota defensive end, Boye Mafe. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks.